You're listening to episode 15 of the Divine Nobodies podcast. Day, friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Divine Nobody's podcast. Once again, we're back. I'm your host, Eric Ajna, joined by my partner in crime, Jennifer Lynn. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. We're back. That's always a good thing. <clears throat> we have a another very, week. Another week. Another week. Back at it. We have a very, very, very special guest in the studio today that came all the way from Utah. Utah's a beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into that, though, thank you guys again for tuning in. This is a show where we explore the various dimensions of spiritual awakening in our modern world. If you guys are watching this on YouTube and you're streaming it, please make sure to like and subscribe to stay up to date on our most recent episodes, because that's where all the good stuff happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So thank you once again. Yeah. He came all the way down from Utah. He actually snowboarded all the way down here. <laughs> yeah. And if you're from California, you're probably wondering, well, how does that happen? Because there's really no snow in sight and it's possible as long as you believe in magic. That's right. Especially you, know. you got those spiritual engines. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a magic carpet, but a snowboard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's how he rides. So the fellow that we have on a show today, he's a spiritual philanthropist. He's having a deep love for the spiritual development of humanity. He's raised with a spiritually seeking mother and father in men's work. So he kind of grew up with this sort of thing. It's got it in his veins. He spent his life digging into the layers of spirit and understanding the masculine and the feminine energies of life. He also hosts a podcast called Medicine of Me, which I absolutely love. Talks about a lot of different things, delves into the medicinal aspects of his personal stories and his journey of what it means to be a fully loving and empowered man. How about that? Fully loving and empowered man. He expresses his soul as a musician and a DJ, finds a spiritual practice as much in his day trading as he does in snowboarding. And we're going to get into that. I'm actually interested in that. In the mountains of Park City. Exactly. Just like he said, he snowboards everywhere. And uh, that's kind of where he currently resides. He's living that sort of life of the wandering ascetic. And he just so happened, well, happened to have been my roommate for quite a bit of time. So... We definitely have a kindred connection, and we've been close for a lot of years. I'd like to welcome Jameson Reichel. Thank you so much for that epic introduction. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's how we roll, you know? I mean, I know you need no introduction, but sometimes you just got to kind of set the pace, you know? You got to set the tone. Happy to receive all the embellishments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good to have you back, man. Yeah. It's good to be back here too. It's good to have you back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he comes back and forth. We still have a lot of uh, mutual friends in the space. And uh, whenever he does come back, we always find some time to connect. This moment being one of those. And he actually came um, to our studio back at the very beginning when yeah. we started, right? He was our very first guest. Yeah. Yeah. He was the very first guest. And, you know, we talked about a lot of different things and the show never stops. There's always things to talk about as long as we are you know, doing that inner work, there's a Jameson nearby ready to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. You know, so we're going to, we're going to get into a lot of different things, right? One thing that I know about you is that you, um, are really, really big advocate for divine masculinity, not only divine masculinity, but you, you know, 
you embody both of the dynamics of the masculine and the feminine really well in just who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And I know that powers a lot of, you know, your spiritual journey, but it's the one thing that's always been the most compelling to me because, um, you know, it's something that you normally practice. So before we get into it, just wanted to just ask you a little bit more about what it is that you do, kind of what's on your plate right now, and kind of what got you into the journey that you're in. I mean, as far as getting into all of this, what was the catalyst for that? Mm. Well, the catalyst, I would say the family I grew up in uh, played a huge role. Mm -hmm. You know, being around a mom who was traveling to India to study in the ashrams and bringing us back mantras to work with and taking us as kids to South Dakota to participate in sweat lodges and Sundance and um, having a dad that uh, was in men's groups throughout all of my childhood Mm -hmm. and getting to participate in some of those uh, at different points and then eventually doing initiations Mm -hmm. in the men's And then I went to college and kind of went my own way with Mm -hmm. things and eventually roped back in to a lot of the things that I was introduced to as, as life easily does so beautifully is throw all the beautiful challenges for our own growth to Mm -hmm. be our best selves and and that we aim to be in our own potential. Mm -hmm. Um, that, uh, is what ropes me back in and gave me that, uh, in, to reconnect with the men, reconnect with men's groups. And I still participate in circles to this day and uh, have my own men's leaders and mentors that I Mm -hmm. learn from. Um, There's there's some local circles in Salt Lake that I connect with from time to time here and there. Um, There's also uh, a male mentor in Florida that I love to follow from time to time who gives me I would say each man has their own sphere or piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. I don't really feel that any one man has this whole thing figured out, but you know, I like to bring the pieces that feel good and bring Mm -hmm. them together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. What else am I up to? I'm it's very much like a practice, you know, yeah, and I, I, it's interesting because I remember when you told me that you originally moved up to Utah, mm. you said there wasn't so much of a scene up there, right? And um, as far as I understand, you essentially started um, really creating that sort of dynamic up there. How has it been as far as like the men's group up there in contrast to how it is down here in LA? Is there, are a lot of people very receptive to that type of work up there? Yes, as actually the communities that I've been involved in, especially kind of the ecstatic dance communities there acted as sort of a hub. Yeah. And then out of that hub, I met so many different people who were interested in mm. these kind of uh, ways of connecting and exploring their masculinity. And it's very different from what I experienced in Los Angeles. The, yeah. the circle I was in, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, the the men had a different approach there mm-hmm. it was i think more masculine and tougher and stronger mm-hmm. in ways but then it was softening as the leader was getting delving into his own spiritual journey mm-hmm. and there was a surrender and softening and loosening that was happening mm-hmm. but what i've been experiencing in utah it was almost coming from the other end where mm-hmm. 
there's all these awesome dudes that are really spiritually tuned in. They're very soft and, oh, I feel you, brother, kind of vibes. And I feel that there was more action, more masculine energy that could come through in these men's. Mm-hmm. Where they are, I felt like they were already soft and tuned in mm-hmm. and they needed to be bolstered. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very different from the guy I follow in Florida who is almost like pure masculine, really intense, r- really about boosting your testosterone levels and and bringing back the strength that uh, is also, I think all of it is really needed. I think that men are challenged in every way, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not just um, learning how to soften, but also strengthen. Yeah. So what is it? I mean, you, you've been in, I mean, as long as I've known you, you've been you know, participating in these men's group. Mm. What is, what are some things that people typically learn in those groups? Mm. Like when you, um, you know, participate, because there's lots of different other people and brothers that you come in contact with. And I actually had my experience with sacred sons, mm. right. And they're, I think probably one of the more prominent ones down here in LA and, um, participating in some of those circles, I mean, they were very intense. Like I was sharing really deep aspects of my own masculinity, but also there was a really comforting feeling to it, knowing that other people, especially when it comes to relationships, go through very similar type of things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's a really big step, especially when you're a man, mm-hmm. because um, up until, you know, I discovered a lot of these men's groups, there weren't a whole lot of um, men you know, advocating for externalizing really tough emotions for the most part, as far as I could think how a lot of people are raised in the West, we sort of bottle up those emotions and there isn't really a platform for us to share these type of things. Mm. So from your experience in these men's group, what are some things that people can take away from engaging in an experience like that? I, I think you touched on some really important parts in that, yeah. uh, in the, fir- in the circle I was in, in mm. LA, a lot of the common question that would come up from the leader would be, how are you feeling right now? Mm-hmm. And it was about constantly asking that question to help men get into with their feelings, mm-hmm. uh, especially men who uh, aren't, are tough and not softened up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and relationships. Well, first I'll say that, the circles create this safe, uh, it's a safe container mm-hmm. for men to really share everything that they're feeling, thinking, mm-hmm. you know, everything that's inside of them, whatever they've done in the past, shame that they carry, mm-hmm. uh, sadness, anger, frustration, trapped emotions, um, yeah. things that they just are confused about. I think that that's a major element that uh, men don't have it all figured out and maybe they have to they have to know what's going on to lead their family or lead their lover or 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 even themselves but the reality is a lot of men don't know what's going on and we're all working together as a circle to help piece it together to help us lead ourselves and lead each other yeah. And become these strong uh, visionaries that can fulfill whatever their calling is and mm-hmm. tune into that calling. Yeah. Um, and relationships are great mirrors that help a man see very easily how solid are they, how much of a pillar are they with themselves to be tuned into that. 
mm-hmm. and to show up in that strength yeah. and also hold a space to be soft too. Mm-hmm. And the relation, you know, the, the nature of who that person man attracts into their life will naturally just easily plug into what would be most supportive for pulling out what is weak yeah. and what is underdeveloped in that man for them mm-hmm. to see and work on it and then become a better expression of themselves. That's more true and authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we definitely need that, especially in our, I guess the climate that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're still, um, volunteering in those men's group, are you seeing kind of an influx of men that are showing a little bit more of an interest, maybe something that came as a result of a lot of those deep seated emotions that are coming up because of maybe quarantine or what's going on in the world? I would say the quarantine and COVID shook a lot of things up for sure. Mm -hmm. The communities I was connected with in Utah it felt like it sort of disappeared, dissolved really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I was even co-creating with a man's leader and another brother of mine there. And we were going to create this. We had this whole vision set out for creating a paradigm of working with men and then having separate women's circles and creating this co-creative process of building a community. Mm-hmm. And that immediately dissolved as soon as, quarantine hit and a lot of my connection with the community shifted as I went more in and spent all the time with myself Mm -hmm. and then later starting to reconnect out with California again and with Utah in a different way. And the men's circles that emerged were with different men. It was different groups Mm -hmm. and their experience there's a lot that's moving and there's always plenty to share so i don't feel like covid adds any new emotion it just brings up more that was already there yeah yeah that makes sense so i have a question where does one go to find a men's group i'd never even heard of a men's group or knew that this was going on um, until we had you the first time. So where does one find this information and find these groups? There is, I know of Sacred Sons mm-hmm. and uh, I know of the Better Men, in the, which was I was a part of in LA. And I know of friends who've gone through therapists who've connected in and made men's groups through ther- therapists can do that as well. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's like okay. a group therapy for men. Yeah. Uh, I've gone through, obviously I went through the ecstatic dance community, which was like a hub for all the conscious people. So it seems like conscious communities Mm -hmm. typically are connected to some forms of men's circles. Uh, Also the man I follow online and connect with his sort of virtual platform for men is Elliot Hulse and Mm -hmm. he's in based in Florida. And so, and there's such a different range between men who are going to be much more in the masculine realm, hardcore, tough, will make you strong. And then all the way on the other end, which is much more spiritual, soft, about more about connecting with love. And yeah. So, and I, I feel like they're all have their place. Mm-hmm. So this sounds a lot like, um, like traditional group type therapy. So can you walk us through 
kind of what what a meeting looks like and kind of what you guys talk about? The experiences I've had in meetings has ranged a bit. Uh, the meetings I would do in LA were very freeform. It was really each man, the idea was each man had the opportunity to show up as the man he wants to be in that circle and explore that. And so each man starts bringing up stuff. They might go around the circle and bring up something that's going on in their life. And then the main focus wasn't, I would say at some point there was an emphasis on fixing a lot of men, times men try to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And the emphasis of the group wasn't so much to fix a problem so much as let's find out how, what is that revealing about that man so that man can learn more about who he is mm -hmm. and then chew on that for a week and come back. And as he brings up what he's feeling or experiencing, then we ask the other men, what does that bring up for them? And then that becomes a catalyst for their own self-exploration. Mm -hmm. And so it starts to bounce around and all sorts of emotions can bubble up and there can be so many different epiphanies and revealings. And, and what I would experience, sometimes I wouldn't even bring up anything and just maybe there was something brewing within me, but through the sort of synergistic magic between the men and what they were sharing, it was as if a higher truth was emerging from sort of this vortex energy between all the men just choosing to show up. And yeah. that's yeah. The, really the most important, important yeah. part. Uh, as opposed to the circles I've most recently have been connecting with, um, have had much more of this op hip hippie-ish spiritual kind of slant where uh, one, one circle we were doing a mixture of sharing with Qigong exercises mm -hmm. with uh, I believe we were also writing down um, something we wanted to burn and burning that. And then we were sharing hape medicine and mm. cacao and uh, another circle main, all we did as to connect as men as we passed a joint around. <laughs> <laughs> that was the conch, man. Straight yeah. up. And you can't talk, you can't we, speak unless you got the joint. <laughs> you, you can't speak out of turn. And when you have the joint, yeah. you had to have an intention for the joint to hit. Right. Like, okay, what do you want for, what is your intention? Okay, I want to yeah. do breath work. Right. So then we'd add breath work in with smoking a joint or we would add in maybe someone wanted to play instruments. So we all brought instruments and then we got so stony that we kind of were, you know, jamming on instruments forever. And then we got into these trippy conversations yeah. and it was such a unique, different way of connecting with men just in a circle mm. with intentionally stoning themselves. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. yeah. And so I love that there's no rules for it right. of how men can connect. It's that we're breaking whatever, I don't even know what really society teaches about how men connect aside from maybe sports and video games and whatnot. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I've known a lot of people, um, and this is something just out of observation. The one thing, just to speak on what you were talking about, about as far as the men's group, it almost kind of seems that it sort of evolves with the dynamic of the people that are in it. 
right? Mm-hmm. So obviously they're not right. all the same. And in my, from my experience with Sacred Sons, it's like the the one thing that you spoke on that really, really kind of spoke that really spoke to me is is that that first inclination for the masculine inside is to try and rationalize an emotional problem, right? So when someone is externalizing their feelings there's that sort of fixer inside of you that's like, there's got to be a way to take care of this. But the one thing that I noticed um, that was probably the most prolific and the most potent out of that speaking about my feelings was just the fact that they were 15, 20 guys just listening, right? And I mean, that's a lot for men, yeah. typically. You don't typically have the, the forum and, and that many people that are just actively engaged in listening to your story. That right there to me heals i mean more so than trying to rationalize or trying to to problem solve through something like that because now you have this space to express your feelings you know what i mean oh yeah so yeah i i i'm a huge uh, uh, advocate for that sort of sharing process that happens in you know some of those groups there's so much healing to being able to express what you're feeling and just simply be heard and received yeah. And not judged. Yeah. Cause I think the opposite side of that, I mean, is for maybe the more common thing and, you know, everybody has their own way of connecting, but I've, I've seen people, obviously sports is a really huge way in which people connect, but I almost see that. And I've tried to piece this apart in my brain because whenever I'm around people that are obviously into sports, I try and play the game too. Right. Because I can still have fun and it's something that I can momentary have some momentary experience with, but it's almost like, they utilize the conversation of sports as a way to connect without having to be too emotional about how they feel about this other person. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's an interesting thing. And I think it's a socially acceptable thing and to teach his own, if they want to do that, that's fine. They all connect in really beautiful ways in that way. But I feel like in order to go deeper and to really, really find out who that person is and what they're going through, you know, I resonate so much more with that authenticity of just being vulnerable mm. and just, you know, allowing that sort of that divine feminine energy inside of me move. You I always know? feel like there's this sigh or re- feeling of relief when the conversation moves to that point of, hey, I want to talk about my life and yeah. what's happening and what mm-hmm. I'm experiencing and feeling. And yeah. then, then the conversation goes back and forth in that form and it's, and it's welcomed. Yeah. And I never, ever felt judged in there because mm-hmm. I mean, some of the things that they say, I mean, they're very intense and, um, you can tell that, I mean, it's very, it's comforting because you, it makes you realize that there are other people that go through these type of issues. But, you know, the one thing that was the most comforting was just the fact that like they were all, no matter how you know, how toxic they had been in the past, know how many hearts they've broken, no matter how they've mistreated other people in their life, there was never any judgment. It was like, they acknowledge it as a wound. They acknowledge it as um, an opportunity to illuminate more light into the shadow. And instead of focusing on the judgment of that person, they are more focused on how we need to redirect this brother back into that light, yeah, you know, totally. and that's like a really powerful thing because especially cause how we grew up as men, it's not, it wasn't so accepted to externalize feelings and me and you, we lived with each other for a long time and we've gone through our share of relationships with mm-hmm. other women. And, you know, we came across a lot of beautiful experiences and we learned along the way, but we'd always meet up 
and kind of discuss our feelings and things that we were going through. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's sometimes difficult to feel what we feel and have the feelings that we do have and to be able to, in a safe way, express them to our partners, you know? And I think that's just sort of like the art. And that's the one thing that I, I definitely acknowledge you for is because you have such a balanced perspective of how you see both the, the male and the female. And the one thing that always stuck out to me is the fact like how you grew up. And at the beginning, you were talking about the dynamic you have with your parents. Your mother kind of, I think she's like still lives in Ecuador, right? Yes. She kind of had that very wild type of like hippie spirit. Mm-hmm. But then your father was kind of the opposite. So how did that impact you growing up? Like how did that um, sort of like mold you into the person that you're in? Because they're very opposite types of energy. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, my dad, he's very science-based and mm-hmm. he, a uh, smart man, very tuned into the physical world, not, not too abstract or conceptual. Um, he only reads nonfiction um, and uh, lives a very straightforward life. Mm-hmm. Um, very organized, orderly, mm-hmm. um, very sociable, mm-hmm. uh, man of the community. And so that element, I can feel it in me. And I know the parts of times of my life where I've rebelled against order and structure and wanted to be more messy and uh, more loose and free and not constrained and wanting to go out in places. And I know I connected with my mom in that way of, of she's a businesswoman, she's a healer, Mm -hmm. spiritual seeker, uh, into yoga, meditation, and um, smoking pot every day by the beach, oh. you know, <laughs> playing, the playing the ukulele. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> uh, and so there's that element in me too. And over time, there's been moments of rejection and acceptance and back and forth. And then over time, as I've learned to admire my dad for who he is, and admire my mom for who she is, and then admire that in myself over time. And that's the journey. Mm, Um, And how do I bring those two together, especially coming out of a a divorced family? Everything feels split. I'm a Gemini, like everything is in twos for me. Mm. So... That's um, right, you're a Gemini. Yes. And me Mm -hmm. and Jen are Gemini moons. We are. What? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's why we're all sitting here right now. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you actually told me a story when you had gone to Ecuador. I think it was to visit your, your mother. And you told me this really beautiful story. And I'm kind of prefacing it because I don't remember the whole thing, but I remember you coming back and obviously you had your own journey there. And you, I remember you walking, you walked out to the ocean or you were sitting outside and you told me about, you know, how the ocean embodied this sort of energy. Well, do you remember that experience? I did have an experience. Uh, well, in Ecuador, where my mom's house is, it mm. sits on the cliff way up above the ocean. Yeah. And so you can hear all the waves crashing all up along the shore and you can just lay in the hammock and watch the fireflies flicker and yeah. it's just magical. Mm. Um, I could sleep there for eternity. Oh, and yeah. when we went down one day, I remember going into the ocean and I had this vision of Pachamama, Mother Earth, sort of showing up before me in this ocean as this big 
black lady with green hair and blue eyes. And she was like, oh, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was <laughs> like, damn, all right. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, uh, and it, because I was just so loving the healing energies of the water and just mm -hmm. letting it just run through me. And, 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 in those moments of connection with nature, it just makes so much sense and yeah. reminds me that how much we've, especially growing up with a lot of computer time and mm -hmm. video game time, yeah. and still to this day, having a lot of connection with the digital and computers, mm -hmm. um, how much our society is really focused around removing us from nature. Mm -hmm. that there's, it almost feels like there's an agenda to do completely remove us from nature and how important it is and how powerful it is when we go and connect with nature, how much more fulfilling it is than, than this computer. Right here. This one right here. Yeah. yeah. Like this, yeah. this specific this, this computer. This one right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one. <laughs> that one. This that computer one. right here. <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah. actually when you came back from that trip, there was some integration, obviously, right? Because those are very, very different realms. Mm. I remember we actually sat and we talked about, you know, like how, how fast things go in our society. And we become so conditioned to that acceleration. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you go out and you venture into even the desert or the forest, it kind of puts everything into perspective for you, how really fast you're going, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. There's a, it's funny that you brought that up. There's a book that I just started reading. Actually, my husband started reading it and, um, I asked him like three different times, Hey, what, what's that book about? What's that book about? And he would tell me and every time I would forget. Um, but that's exactly what it's about. It's called Ir irresistible and it's by Adam Alter and it's the rise mm. of addiction and technology and the business of, um, keeping people hooked. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, I've only read a couple chapters, but so far so good. Um, but yeah, I, I totally feel that way. And anytime I'm in nature, I try not to pick up my phone because have you ever looked at the analytics on your phone of how many times you pick it up and how many times you look at it per day? Oh, I, I haven't. There's I some way to do that. <laughs> you, Yeah, there's analytics in your phone and you can look at it. Have you looked at and how many times you pull it up? Yes. Oh man, and it is disturbing. Hmm. And it tells you how long, how long you've um, looked at your screen, like yeah. how much screen time you're using. Yeah. And um, I, there are certain websites that it doesn't count. Like if you're reading, if you're like reading something on Kindle or whatever, yeah. um, it doesn't count that as screen yeah. time, but yeah. um, actually scrolling the internet and doing other things. So yeah. um, it's super disturbing. Yeah. I highly recommend you check it out. Oh, wow. Like yeah. How many times you, cause I think the phones have like a little sensor in it, right? They have a sensor. So it, like, yeah. Senses mm -hmm. the motion, like, like a, a mm -hmm. pedometer. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have, yeah. to, we'll have to we'll have to check that out and see how much work we have to do. Oh man, <laughs> I need to do a lot of work, and it's it. And because that's my full time job, right? Is yeah. I'm on my phone all day mm. long. I'm on my phone. I'm on my computer, and yeah. at night I just don't want to be around any electronics to the point where I wanted to take all the TVs out of our house. Yeah. And, um, and Jeremy was not for, th for that at all. <laughs> and I didn't have a TV like for yeah. the, you know, 15 years before we got together, I had yeah. no TVs at my house. Mm -hmm. Um, I would read books. Yeah. You yeah. Know? That's like a thing. I mean, I know people that will not sleep with electronics inside, inside the bedrooms. Yeah. There's, know? there's, yeah, there's lots of studies on that, that your bedroom is supposed to be associated with sleeping and with sex and that's it. Right. 
um, and having a TV in your bedroom like causes ins- insomnia. It, yeah. it affects your sex life, and then you know, of course, it's. And that was the thing that I'd gone through for a lot of time too, because it's so tempting to hang out in your bed. Oh yeah, and to read and to just do a lot of tasks. It's a really comfortable space. Yeah. But I, it, I think you're right. It actually started interfering with sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, so now, so now I be, I don't go into my bed unless it's actually for sleep. But yeah, I know people that it's like for a lot of different reasons. I mean, one of the the newest things that I've heard about is the fact that the whole five G thing. Oh yeah. Out, mm-hmm. You know. And been out to everybody, they sort of covertly did that. And there are a lot of people that are, you know, trying their best in order to either, you know, uh, use different other modalities to try and curb that sort of frequency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think Jameson's right. I mean, there's it, it's so ingrained into our culture to sort of um, bypass a lot of these things that we're talking about because it's just so hard. Like even when you think back at like, programming like television programming most you mm-hmm. you don't think of that word as you know some corporation trying to just cram all this crap down your throat you look at it as like oh i affiliate that with the television right you know mm-hmm. yeah. so it's, it's crazy how a lot of these these different things are are so hardwired into our western society that we don't realize how like how, how powerful they, they really have and how they've influenced us. Even like, like movies, you know, the mm-hmm. fact that like, like, even we kind of tread into like how movies portray relationships, you know, and me being one of those people, I mean, a lot of us grew up with Disney movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of us grew yeah. up, I mean, women grew up with that sort of thing. So, you know, that creates the scenario in your mind of how a relationship looks. And the one thing that those things don't really contain is all of those really difficult situations that you experience in relationships with other people. So, you know, that I think that right away kind of sets the groundwork for a lot of that sort of bypassing to exist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So when, when, and when you were growing up, like in, in your family, was it pretty open either on both sides to be able to externalize your feelings? Was it really comfortable for you to express the emotions that you have? I would say that I feel like I always had that support mm-hmm. to uh, express myself. Mm-hmm. And although I would say that my mom, my dad, and my sister both had pretty strong personalities. And in response to that growing up, I was very more aloof, shy, reserved, and kind of held space for everything that was happening and kind of was taking a step back. And in my own little world, very introverted. And so even though I had that support, my mom was very open to that. My dad was open to that through the men's work. And I even had those platforms to share in when I was either in those men's circles or my dad and I would sometimes at night before bed light a candle and he would, we would have some time together as father and son. Um, And so there were definitely moments and I always felt free and there were times where I did have whatever emotions I had, I would come up and I would share and I felt okay sharing it and I was received. Mm -hmm. It might not have always been easy for my parents to hear but they still received it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. judged or put down or cast down for expressing myself. 
Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you, you had like a pretty good, uh, it, it sounded like it, it was open and, and contained a, a safe enough container for you to exercise your feelings and to also kind of observe how that masculine and that feminine sort of like integrated in with your life. So I wanted to get into more of um, this sort of subject. So what do you think, what does it mean? And I wanted to define these just to put into perspective for the people that are listening. What does it mean to embody your divine masculinity? Mm, What a powerful question. And I feel like we're all wondering the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel that masculinity and that is this energy that we can all embody and we all have it in us to varying amounts or degrees or developments rather a relationship with it and from what how i've studied it is that most men have a stronger pull towards the masculine energy and less of a pull towards the feminine. How they relate to that, how healthy is that relationship differs. Um, And that's part of the journey of developing oneself as a man. The divine part for me comes in when you are acknowledging that as a man that you're more than just this experience in this life on this planet and that you've had many lives, both probably as man, woman, tree, spirits, rocks, and that you believe in some greater cosmic or universal or even beyond energy that you're interconnected with. And so allowing it, it's when you've, part of that journey of connecting with the elements of what it is to be a man connect even beyond that into the interconnectedness with all that is, and also the nothingness, Hmm. right? Uh, When we talk about the divine elements of our universe, we're talking about, the feminine form, the matter, the connection, the flow, but then also the the great container of of all that is is the in, in Taoism it's the Tao. It's mm. the it's the space it just is and, and that's the masculine holding the feminine and mm. and that's the divine play or dance that's happening and it's unfolding on so many fractal levels as the sun and the moon, as the planets and the stars, as man and woman. And so when there is a removing of that you as a man are human and that you are playing out these energies beyond just the form, and you start to see the reflections of your own being reflected in the trees and the lake and how the river flows, Mm. there is where the divine connection can be found. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and it's almost like, because we are also a product of nature. And I I think a part of that acceptance and that understanding is the fact that those polarities exist, kind of like what you were saying, it's sort of the divine play. And it's kind of like the Tao, which is like awareness recognizes 
that sort of game that's going on, which is those both polarities that exist. And it's crazy because there's that law of correspondence that exists all around us in nature, which is like what you were saying, like we have the sun and the moon mm. and we have the light and we have the dark. And then we have the left and right hemispheres of our brain, which are responsible for two different types of um, emotions and problem solving. But then at the same time, you have masculine feminine energy and each person embodies that masculine and feminine energy, but in relation to another person in like a divine sacred partnership. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a large part of that practice of uh, integrating with nature is by creating a nice balance between you and that woman, mm -hmm. right? It's almost like that reciprocal energy that is created between you and another person, either through conversation, through intercourse, through sharing experiences where becomes almost like this toroidal field that happens between you and your partner mm -hmm. where energy is evenly distributed between you mm -hmm. and that person. Mm -hmm. So there's never a loss. You never feel like you're being taken from. Mm -hmm. You always just feel like your energy is coming out and it's being received mm -hmm. and you're being listened to. And then the energy is coming back as sort of like this affirming the continuity of the fact that you exist as that sort of I am presence. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so what do you think that men can do to show up more for that divine feminine partner? Well, I feel like what you just described there was the, the soul mates. Mm -hmm. And I almost think of as mates as the material element of the soul, that the soul is coming together in its divine way into material form to join in this divine play together. Mm -hmm. And that when you have soulmates together, you create this powerful engine that no matter where those two energies are at in their own journey materially through lives, that when they meet, there's what I've determined is, I call it like a flavor. Mm -hmm. And that when the flavors are just right mm -hmm. in this miraculous way that when you observe these flavors together, it just, everything makes sense. When yeah. you see that couple, mm -hmm. they're like, that couple makes sense. Yeah. It, yeah. You don't have to, it just seems like nature, you know, just like the trees by the lake and the crane coming in and landing. And then you <laughs> see those two and it just, it's all part of the same piece of nature. Yeah. And that no matter now, I will say that the self-development is, is always key and part of the whole journey and the journey of self-love and love for others and we have service and moving through these wounds and all of this that we talk about that is a big part of the journey of eventually being ready for a soulmate mm -hmm. and being able to show up in a powerful capacity together. Mm -hmm. But I've, I, one of my theories is what trumps even the self-development is simply that sort of energetic matching of vibration between the two people that, mm -hmm is almost beneath all of that journey 
that there's something about the two flavors of those people mm-hmm. that is so miraculously natural mm-hmm. that it that that energy is so supportive that even if someone is still learning to love themselves that there's this the the support when those two people come together there's enough of a boosting of their own almost like there's there's an allowance for more of their own true authentic self to come forward to create a stronger container for that those people to do the work to become better they become inspired mm-hmm. into more of their greatness and and that's what you see when two cup a couple that's natural together they are glowing together because mm-hmm. not not even because necessarily that they've done this self work because i've seen so many couples that were soulmates together that haven't done a lick of self work yeah. mm-hmm. but they're just so happy right yeah. and it's that happiness comes from that toroidal energy this sort of magic engine that's formed in in each other's space that allows for so much divine cosmic energy to come through that they can't help but become more full into themselves mm-hmm. they can't help but they grow and whether they know it or not and i feel like there's a deep healing that happens mm-hmm. and so that's my theory in terms of when i would see certain couples i'm like okay this this couple they've been they've been at it they've been through so many different relationships and they've been going through it and figuring it out and going to doing so much ayahuasca and so much you know yeah. they've yeah. been doing the whole 9 yards right. and then they finally connected with the right person and then there's this other couple who hasn't done anything and they connected and they found each other too and they're just as happy yeah so what happens when uh, the balance is off because i feel like i see that more often than i see these synergistic couples Mm -hmm. so um, when maybe the female's living too much in their masculine or the man's too much in in his feminine like what do you say about that what do you think about that that was probably a twin flame yeah, it's it's these fiery mixtures that there's a great almost Coca Cola attraction or a McDonald's fries. Kind of <laughs> it's like the junk attraction. food of relationships. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because there's something about it where it's like your soul says no, but your ego says yes, That's and it. it's like it wants to take a bite out of that, and. And it, and it becomes such a strong energy that the soul allows it to happen because the soul ultimately knows this is such an important part yeah. in your journey to mm-hmm. experience this pain that you're about to go and experience right. yeah. so that you can grow up and become so much healthier with how you're treating yourself yeah. mm-hmm. and so in treating others. Yeah, that's true. And and it, it, it's funny that you mentioned about the, well, it's not funny, but like when you were talking about the, how the soul and then how the body interprets a connection like that, because, and I think we've talked about this before in the past when it comes to things like trauma bonds, where it's like, there's a physiological aspect to how that works in your body, which is that 
And I think we likened it to when we were talking like a pendulum, right? A lot of relationships that kind of have that sort of healthy dynamic, sort of like gently swing in the middle back and forth to the light and to the dark. But then you have those relationships that the high is so intense, the intensity is so intense. And that for the most part is looked at as a good thing. But when that pendulum swings too far in one direction, it swings back into mm-hmm. the other. And what happens with that is like your neurotransmitters are not wired to fire that intensely, right? So you get into these things that almost feel like trauma bonds with another person where we start getting used to the intensity of that serotonin and that cortisol shooting through the veins mm-hmm. during a really bad blowout with another person. We somehow associate those feelings, those neurotransmitters, and even those reward centers as almost like we would a drug, mm-hmm. you know? Because when we yeah. feel that oxytocin and the norepinephrine and like those, those, that dopamine so intensely, the body, I think, craves it in the same way that it would crave something more illicit, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's right when it comes to like those, those twin twin type of relationships. It's like there, there's something about it where the body craves it, mm-hmm. even though your spirit knows that it's not good for you. Yeah. And it's amazing how well it can be dressed up and look yeah. so attractive. And you're like, this is the one. Yeah. This is perfect. This is yeah. it. Yeah. Especially when that sex is good, man. Yeah. Oh, that's the, that's the killer right that's there. That's the one, right? <laughs> yep. You hit the nail on the head. And you know, my grandma, I don't, I'm not even sure if I've said this on our podcast before, but she would always say a candle that burns twice as hot will burn out twice as fast. Yeah. So anytime you get involved in a relationship that is just so hot in the beginning, yeah. Um, and so emotional and both of you are like, Oh my God, you're the one, you're the one that shit never works. Never. So you gotta be, Mm -hmm. you gotta be cautious about that. I mean, you really have to take your time and not get caught up in that because other things start to move into the relationship. So it's sex that's moving into the relationship and clouding your judgment and those feelings all, all, all of those love, happy feelings cloud your judgment as well. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of, it's like, kind of like a spiritual bypass where you just ignore everything else and make excuses for bad behavior or things that you wouldn't normally put up with. Yeah. So that obviously points to, like you say, cluttered, a clouded awareness, clouded awareness. Yeah. Like awareness as being like the awareness that we should operate from because it, it, it to me points to a disconnect between our spirit and our bodies because we are, at maybe in those moments, asleep to the divinity inside, we're asleep to that more intrinsic source energy that we instead start listening and taking orders from the body. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like we start, you know, feeling those extra sensory sort of like uh, bouts of stimulation from these neurotransmitters, neurotransmitters working through us. And it just, it's like you say, it, it, it is like a drug. And one of the things that I've experienced also, and I'm sure others have too, is there's in connecting with those sort of twin flame relationships, there's so much urgency to Mm -hmm. speed things up and get fast into it and go hard. And like you're saying, burn the candle at both ends. Uh, And I feel like, what that is that the what's elicited there is the soul knows this ain't gonna last yeah Mm -hmm. and the ego is like oh no it's not gonna last and then i and so it creates this urgency from this deep down you know it's not going to last but you're not paying attention to that you're just paying attention to how it feels and jumping into it Mm -hmm. yeah and what i've 
been feeling with my most recent uh, relationship with Candace is this sense of, oh, wow, this feels long. This feels like a long lasting journey. And so there's more of a little bit of a a moment of reluctance to go fast, partly for feeling the the magnitude of the potential, Mm -hmm. but then also a deep desire to savor every slow unfurling of each leaf of the relationship. But it seems like, and in, in, in I think everybody's striving for that point, but it seems like because you guys have created that safe container, mm. there's like that trust that's developed between both of you, where it's like, you know, that partner's not going to go anywhere. You know, it's like yeah. they've made you feel safe with taking your time. And that's a very different conversation than I think how a lot of people, especially in our society, take relationships because people don't have the time and things are moving really fast. Mm. So we get used to that intensity. I mean, we, it's so crazy how, how, how much our conditioning and all the behaviors or even the unconscious behaviors that we embody on a daily basis influence our decisions when it comes to even partners. Cause it's like, you want to know something, you can just search it in a Google search bar. You want a date, you can just hop on Tinder and find a date. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this acceleration, this feeling of things needing to happen fast that people start looking at relationships in the same way, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it doesn't surprise me that those relationships don't end up actually ending because there isn't that sense of safety. There isn't that sense of really commitment from the other person to take the time. You know, everybody wants it like right now, like right here, right now. Mm. The the time when people would meet and be high school sweethearts and get married, those days are long gone. I mean, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you have those, those obviously like are more like our parents. Yeah. It's crazy when you hear those stories because I hear stories like that from like my, my, um, my aunts and my uncles where it's like, yeah, we met in elementary school. And, yes. And, yeah. Uh, and got married at, at 16, 16. They're still together. Still together. And they're still going strong. Yeah. They still got marbles upstairs. They're still visiting Denny's on Sundays. Like they're, yeah. they're doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. And just like you said, it's like, it's hard to quantify. We, we obviously, we, we, we can't generalize and say that every couple should have to go through this rigorous sort of like um, curriculum of self, you know, improvement in order to arrive to this place. Just like you say, there are some people that just get it mm-hmm. and that sort of thing happens, you know, and you know, that, that's a good thing, you know, but then there are some people that maybe just crave a, a different type of connection, a different type of deepness. And, they want to go as far in that you can go. And it doesn't surprise me that in for, of course, the spiritual community, it's just all about how deep you can go, like mm-hmm. how deep into your DNA, how deep into your lineage, like what is, it's like this striving for the infinite, even though ultimately the very core, we know that we as human beings can never really fully touch it, but we want to get as close as we can to God through these relationships. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that yeah. involves like really going into the shadow, really going into how to practice, you know, being authentic and embodying our authenticity and our honesty. And because we know, and I think we've experienced it through things like plant medicine, where it's like, you know what true love feels like for another person, but also for nature. And we know how that feels for another person. And if that exists somewhere inside of the body, then it can happen and be sustained between somebody else. So it's like all of us are sort of like these, 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 you know, we're like these, these, these warriors that are out on this journey trying to find 
that by going inwards mm-hmm. and trying to find it in ourselves mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That inner journey is so, so key. And it's almost like for myself, there were moments where, well, once I turned 30, I was told as a kid by my mom to wait until I was 30 to have kids and get married. And yeah. so I didn't have an agenda through my 20s. And I realized that was because of how I was raised. Mm-hmm. And then once I hit 30, it was almost like all systems just turned on. It was like, oh, I got to create the kingdom. Got to be king. Got to find the queen. Got to do the thing. <laughs> Let's do it. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's go. Are you it? Are you my queen? Are you and like yeah. every person that... I dated at that point, it became serious, like on another level. So, um, I went through this whole process, uh, of going through much more intense relationship experiences, emotions, processing pain and trauma. And every experience drove me deeper into spirituality until the point where I left California and became a hermit in Utah. And, it really was a certain point where finally when the pandemic hit, I decided to just shut everything down that I was doing and just be with myself and my cat and mm. um, fast mm. a few times a week and journal and and just let it all go and just be with myself. And and it was through that, that process, I really developed a lot of self-love yeah. and connection with mm. myself as a man and, and where I was going having a vision and mm. getting clarity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, so you're, I mean, we're all kind of going to this quarantine together. And um, I think as light workers, especially right now, there's an influx of, of the work that needs to be done. And also the message that needs to be conveyed to a lot of people that are going through difficult times in both their relationships, but also just individually as people. So um, a lot of stuff has come up, obviously, in the last couple months between like femicide and the child trafficking. It points to a really deep wound that our society is carrying mm. that is a part of our conditioning and that has been silenced for a very long time. And that deep wound involving, you know, uh, a really toxic masculine sort of trait and a really toxic masculine wound. Like, what do you think is a good, maybe not solution, but step in the right direction into, you know, uh, trying to heal these sort of generational wounds that exist in our mm. communities. Like, what do you what do you think men can do in order to show up more for a female to make her feel safe, to make them feel whole again? Mm. And I think that goes both ways too, because there are women that embody that toxic masculine sort of wound too. Mm. You know. So, w- what advice can you give for that? Can a man and a woman sit together and just listen to each other? Yeah. Can they connect? And they hear each other. And I think if a man and a woman may created an intention to create a container, and then let's say the man was to create a container and that woman, and it might not happen even in, in that experience, that might itself be so challenging and hard and uncomfortable. Because uh, I, I, there, was, there was a circle that we did before it was... I think it was probably January, February, mm-hmm. where we started to experiment with having a women's circle and then having a couple few men there. I was chosen as one of the men to be to hold space, mm-hmm. just hold space for the women. And 
it was our first go at it. And, and the woman in charge, since women are naturally inclusive, they, she, she wanted us to, to chime in too. So we ended up not just holding space, but we also spoke in it too. And we all agreed that while there was a beautiful dance to having the masculine perspective there, as well as the feminine and mixing the two together, we found, I, I would say we both agreed that the women didn't feel comfortable going as deep as they probably would have if it was just women. Mm-hmm. And so that alone already highlights that there is growth to be had mm-hmm. in men and women relating to each other and being open to each other and yeah. having that feeling of being able to share a woman being able to share with a man and a man being able to share with a woman without being judged, without a man being judged for his masculinity. Mm-hmm. Is he man enough? Is he good enough? Is he, is he strong? Is he capable? You know, all these things come up for a man and they're always, I know that they always go through my head mm-hmm. whenever, whoever, whenever I'm relating to women. Yeah. And also, for a woman to feel safe, mm-hmm. safe with a man, mm-hmm. that they're protected and they're not, there's no danger, mm-hmm. there's no harm, there's mm-hmm. no horrors here. This mm-hmm. is a, this is a sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting because I I grew up around a lot of women, right? And uh, in in those moments, there was really no issue that I found with that it was sort of like I was naturally able to embody my feelings. So I've always been really external with that. But I did carry a wound towards masculine energy because of my father, you know, like not being in my life. I wasn't really taught how to fully embody my masculinity, right? So I had a lot of that female energy. And I found myself even uh, afraid to be myself around other men. So Mm -hmm. obviously that points to that sort of wound that exists. And it hasn't even been, you know, within the last, I want to say 10 or 15 years where I started exploring my relationship with other men. And that involved feeling safe around them and feeling safe to express who I am, you know? And even when I do, you can tell that that wound still exists in other people because there are a lot of men that don't want to go there, mm. you know? So it's like kind of what you were saying. I feel like it's, this is a something that points itself out in like these different subtleties, like being in a circle with, with, with other men and women not feeling safe to be them. Mm -hmm. So uh, you actually told me this really, really great example one time um, that likened the way that a man and a woman's emotions move. And it was almost like this sine wave, right? Where it's like a man, it's like this straight line. The, the, the patterns are very precise. Mm -hmm. And I think like the, the women, when they express their emotions that are more like a, a wave, is that like, is it, do you remember that? I remember that. I remember him talking about that in the first podcast. Yeah. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah. Recalling <laughs> what was that magic I was talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no. And you talked a little bit about how whenever, um, one partner is embodying more of masculine or feminine energy mm-hmm. compared to the other partner, how mm-hmm. that other partner will compensate. And Mm -hmm. so for example, I, I have a lot of masculine energy and, um, I have to check myself because I noticed that Jeremy will start to go in the opposite direction. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because he's trying to compensate for me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and that's a difficult thing too. And I think we talked about this with Catherine on yeah. a few episodes back where it was like, you, you would seem that the compensation is a good thing, mm-hmm. but you know, there's a, the deeper sort of divine masculine feminine that still exists. And whenever there's a man that falls too much into his femininity, because the female is more masculine, mm. he will fall into that role, but the women will lose respect for him mm-hmm. yeah, because he's not embodying that masculinity. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's all about like, how do you navigate through that? Like, how do you navigate through when that energy is moving and those roles are starting to mm. sort of transition? Yeah. It starts with being teammates. Yeah. It starts with mm-hmm. that recognizing that you're on the same side. And because it's easy when you go deep into the realm of the woman is embodying this masculine energy or the man falls into his feminine and now the woman is not attracted to all this feminine. The woman wants this masculine man. Like, where the fuck did he go? Yeah. And and then she ends up, can become bitter or rigid or tense or stressed out, mm-hmm. uh, having to play the masculine role, which she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Maybe at certain points, but because we want to feel all the expressions of life, but... Predominantly, I'd imagine a woman who is predominantly pulled towards the feminine wants to spend a lot of time enjoying being a woman, being feminine. Mm -hmm. And so, and when, when those challenges or struggles grow, it's easy to become antagonistic and, and pick at each other or nag or fight or bicker and it can grow. And, and that comes from losing the perspective that we are one, mm-hmm. losing the perspective that we are all connected and we are all energy and consciousness. And so when we re- when we can step outside of the pain we're feeling and meet each other eye to eye and, and say, have a conversation like, Hey, yeah. I'm hurting. This is what I'm experiencing. Mm. This is what my journey is. What's your journey? Mm. And then and then you hear their journey and then you get to experience and learn about what's happening for each other. Yeah. Getting each other's shoes. And mm. then learn about, well, how can I and and then learn and then both people then at that point want to be able to grow. They want to come into a, a beautiful place together. It has to be mutual, mm-hmm. a beautiful partner, a beautiful energy dance that feels good for both people. Like the man wants to be the man, mm-hmm. the woman wants to be the woman. Yeah. And then when there's that communication to want to be there, then it's so much easier when you work together to support each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's interesting because, um, like, uh, the, the, the thought that kind of like comes up for me is what Marion Williamson has the two distinctions when it comes to relationships. There's like the special relationship, which is sort of like, a, like you said, sort of like the fast food version where it's like, you know, you like all the bells and whistles of how it feels without actually doing the work in order to sustain something long-term. And then there's the sacred partnership 
which the sacred partnership kind of reminds me kind of what you're pointing to, which is like at the core, you know, that a relationship isn't, isn't, doesn't just serve the good moments. Mm. It isn't there to just serve this sort of idealized version of how, you know, uh, I guess it is a part of our conditioning for it to just look good all the time. There's this like really deep understanding that there are going to be shadows and there are going to be triggers. And, and I think I've spoke about this before where it's like, it, 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 we have very unrealistic expectations with certain things because, you know, if I met a girl today or met a woman today and I'm 35 years old, that, that woman, if she happens to be the same age, went her entire life up to 35 without me in it. So she has her own story, her own traumas, her own shadow, all these things that come along with me interfacing with this person. And to assume that I'm never going to experience any of that in a relationship is very unrealistic. So it's almost like the awareness inside that source, that one that you talk about, that one that acknowledges that we're all one mm. has compassion for that mm. because I also have that. Mm -hmm. And so there's that understanding between you and that other person that yes, we can have a great relationship, mm. but there are opportunities for growth that are always going to exist. And I think you're right. I think when those difficulties happen to look at it from awareness and be able to see both of those polarities sort of working, mm -hmm. it, it it leaves you more equipped for that sort of sacred partnership, you know? Both, yes, both partners or both people in this dynamic have to be aware that what they're experiencing isn't just about the other person, it's also about them. Yeah. And both have to acknowledge that I've had, and if the experience is that one person is projecting all onto the other, there's, it's impossible to grow together. Mm -hmm. Both have to own their experiences. Mm -hmm. And I had that experience just recently with Candace where she had some things come up for, for her. They were very tiny triggers, nothing big, but they're tiny yet profound. And they all, she, she was really embarrassed to, to talk about them because they were so small. Mm -hmm. And in the past, she's had experiences where men judged her for being, having her triggers. And so she didn't feel safe to express yeah. them in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I, this was literally yesterday, we went into the park and we were holding space for each other, describing what we each were going through experientially mm -hmm. um, over the past few days. There was stuff that was coming for me that I was going through that I identified as my journey. And there was things that she was experiencing that she was going through that were part of her journey. Mm -hmm. And the thing, and then so I received her lovingly for each thing that she described. Mm -hmm. And and then the main theme of those things, they're all little things, but the main theme was what I saw was she wants to be with a masculine man and she could see, and this is part of the element I think that is really powerful or I think it's like the magic power of women is that they want the man to be as the most powerful potential that they can be. And so they're good at digging, understanding all the nuances and behaviors of a man be, so that they can find where they're strong and, and support him and cheer him on and love him and wrap mm -hmm. herself around him in, in where he's strong. And then in the moments where he's weak, 
support him. And, and that's a very delicate point though, because that's a delicate point in that women in that moment can be very, can either choose to become very judgmental and biting and, and, and put a man down for those weaknesses or really be the loving God of support of just lifting him up to his fullness. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think we talked about that before, I think on our, on our first podcast that we did was really interesting about how the sort of subconscious ways that women test men, mm-hmm. right. And, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess the more pop culture, um, sort of like axiom for that would be just a shit test. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's interesting because that exists. Mm. That exists. I mean, it, to bring it down, bring it down to our sort of three dimensional reality where it's like we have correspondence with text messages and how we interface with these women and men where it's like, there's all these little social cues that you have to follow. And, you know, there's, there could be games that are played obviously, but there is some truth from what I understand and why a woman tests a man. Mm-hmm you know, to, to test how strong he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. So in, in relationship to divine masculine, divine feminine, everything that we've talked about tonight, if there's one thing that you wanted to leave our listeners with, what would, what would that be? Well, I would say that if you have a deep interest or you're already digging into it to explore your own masculine or feminine energies to reach out and connect and find a circle of your, for yourself of especially it it really depends also on your goals and what you really want to work on. If you're more in the spiritual realm, obviously connect with the community that makes sense for you. Um, but I think circles are a great way to connect and explore the divine masculine and feminine. And, um, and they've been profound for me in my journey. And I would say that these energies are everywhere. they, They make up so much of our experience of, of the world and the cosmos and, and our relationships that it, to ignore it would be, ignore, I feel, ignoring a massive part of our experience of life. And so I really encourage people who have any inkling or opening to really explore this more. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, a, and if you're a, for anybody that's listening right now that is either in a relationship, what are some practical ways that a man can show up for another woman? Could be as simple as waking up and making her coffee in the morning. What are some ways that a man can show up for a woman and then a woman can show up for their, their partner as well? Listen, yeah. listen is so powerful. There's something powerful about listening and paying attention to a woman and know and knowing very well how to show up for her in a way that she would just melt. Mm -hmm. And it's really the small things a lot of times that matter the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could probably go on for another couple of days talking about this. Thank you so much for coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It was so great to see you. Yeah. It's definitely really, really, really great to see you. So if anybody that's interested, actually Jameson has a presence online. He's traveling right now. 
might be able to catch them. It's like Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> snowboarding Santa Claus. Yeah, snowboarding <laughs> Santa Claus. If you look out your window, you might see him cruise by. He'll gift you some Pelosantos and some sage, likely. He's <laughs> got that on hand. He can actually be found at jamisonoak.com. He's also on social media and um, Instagram under Jameson Oak too. He, and just coming from personal experience, he makes some really amazing music that you can also find on SoundCloud. But he also has his podcast called Medicine of Me, which can also um, be found on there as well. And I've listened to it. He talks about a lot of different sort of spiritual themes and a lot of the themes involving kind of what we've been talking about during this podcast. So um, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. For, yeah, and each time you come in. down on your snowboard, let us know. Yeah. You're always welcome into the studio. I'm happy to join in anytime. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Any, we'll definitely have you back. But thank you everybody for tuning in. If uh, you're on Apple Podcasts, you can find our podcasts on there. You could also go to Spotify, which we are on Spotify and uh, Google Play. You can also go directly to our website at www.divine-nobodies.com. And uh, like and subscribe. Stay up to date on all of our recent episodes. Also, leave a review. Leave a like. All of your friends will think you're cool. We'll think you're cool too. <laughs> and um, for all those that are listening, you know, if you're a man, maybe you step outside, chop down a tree. You never know how it'll make you feel. And uh, for all those really beautiful ladies, keep shining. And uh, we're all going to get through this together. Right? That's right. Yeah. Totally. So until next time, thank you guys, everybody. Namaste. Namaste, friends. Namaste.